Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. My name's Naomi, and if I haven't met you yet, hi. (laughs) I've been coming to The Granary for Uh, I don't know, I was trying to calculate this earlier, I think more than five years, honestly, I don't know. And my husband and my son, Luke, usually hang around a lot earlier in the day because, you know, bedtimes. Uh, But it's lovely to be among you. Uh, And I get particularly excited when I come to the 6pm because I used to love it here before I had a kid. And last time I was with you, I was really struggling with morning sickness and I can promise you now I feel a lot better. I really do. So you won't need to run out and grab a paper bag for me tonight. Thanks, Deb. That was excellent. Okay. (laughs) And you're safe here in the front too. Don't worry about it. Okay. This is the last of our Advent series. Well, because it's the last Sunday we'll be together again for, for this year. And it's the last Sunday before Christmas. We've been looking at the concept of God with us and each week narrowing in on one of those words. And because it's the last Sunday that we're doing this, obviously we're up to the smallest word, us. So let's talk about us tonight. Now, I really felt God put on my heart to talk about unity and I really resisted him at first (laughs) and I kept pushing it back saying, I don't really want to talk about the topic of unity because it's something I struggle with and it's not something I've been walking very well in this year and it's something that I don't find uh, comes naturally. I can wholeheartedly get behind some of the theology on unity, wholeheartedly go, yes, this is excellent, what a great concept, and I just really struggle to wholeheartedly live it out. And as I've studied it this last couple of weeks, what kept popping up frequently was Paul in his letters would write about unity and talk about the need to strive after it and like actually actively work towards it. It's not something that comes easy. It's not something that's natural. So if you're like me, don't worry, (laughs) it's not an easy topic, but we're going to launch into it anyway, because as Matt hinted at, at the very start of tonight's celebration, Christmas can bring up a lot of tensions and schisms in our families and divisions and I think in the end of such a stressful year that we've had maybe those those could be more pronounced in our family gatherings over the next couple of weeks because everyone's a bit more stressed everyone's had a bit more pressure on them this year so it's timely for us as we go into meeting with our families this week to remember the call to unity but it's also timely because in our current cultural moment the individual, the individual is celebrated so much that individuality, uniqueness is put on a pedestal and worshipped in the place of God. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but particularly in my line of work, I'm a casual academic at the university, I've noticed a lot of people who celebrate uniqueness and individuality and the expression of oneself comes at the cost of unity And somehow by celebrating people's differences, we are now living in a society that is less tolerance of differences. It just blows my mind. And I think it's actually because we've got it the the wrong way around. And as we're going to see tonight throughout scriptures, God is calling us to sacrifice our individuality for 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 the sake of unity. Sometimes it costs us. The individual is still important and we'll look at that. But 
sometimes it comes at a cost and we should be pursuing unity rather than pursuing our own autonomy and our own individuality. And sometimes you need to lay some things down in order to be unified with people who think differently to you and who are different to you. And that's the bit I struggle with. So before we launch properly in, I'm going to open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to get out of the way and invite you to come and speak to each of us tonight, bring a revelation to to all of us about the call of unity on our life. And I pray that you would equip us to go into 2021 seeking, pursuing, and actively creating unity in our church and in our families. In your name, amen. Okay, so my big statement up front is this. The Bible puts more emphasis on unity and our human relationships than it does on human individuals in the Bible over the course of the biblical stories. Like if you were to read it from start to finish, with just this one focus in mind, you would notice if you tallied it up that there's more emphasis on unity and the human relationships than there is on the individual. It's not to say that the individual is not important. In fact, we can read more than one story where one individual's actions and the consequences of their actions lead to very severe consequences and punishment for an entire nation. So sometimes the individual can be responsible for a lot of hurt as well as a lot of good. And there's also a huge focus in Jesus's preaching and his parables about the individual coming to salvation. And that is quite an individual process that he's, and he says through his parables that he celebrates every sinner, like even just one, he celebrates. But the call that Jesus gave to his disciples was to go to preach to, to all the nations. Not to preach to everybody you come across, but to preach to nations. And that call that Jesus gave his disciples is echoing the promise that God gave to Abraham, which was foreshadowing Jesus, all the way back in Genesis. And we're going to have a little look at uh, this promise of Abraham, given to Abraham, because this promise, like God chose Abraham to be like almost the steward, the one who would carry this promise that was actually God's roadmap for salvation. So he was set aside, given a promise that would come, that God said would come to pass. Eventually his generational line turned into the nation of Israel and from that came Jesus. And the promise was this, that through his line, he would become a great nation that would bless all the nations of the earth. And God reiterated this promise to Abraham several times over Genesis, because we all need to sometimes hear things more than once. And he used two Hebrew words there alternate in an alternating way. He would either use the Hebrew word for nation. God will, God's promise was that he would bless, become a blessing to all the nations. Or sometimes when he gave him the promise, he used the word for families, that you would be a blessing to all the families of the world. God's promise was to groups of people, not to individuals. Yes, for individuals, but the way that we relate to the promise is corporately, as nations. And this says a couple of things that are quite important. Firstly, that God values national differences and cultures and he values different languages. We're not intended to all speak the one language. That's why there are prophecies throughout the scriptures that one day every knee will bow 
every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation will confess that he is Lord. It's not about all becoming uniformed. Unity is not uniformity. And this is really important because I think historically there have been evangelical pushes that really bring a message of assimilation with them. And God actually celebrates difference, unity despite our differences. So you do not have to be the same as somebody, look the same, sound the same, think the same to be united with them. And God celebrates that in a few different ways. And if you wanted to look more into this, I would recommend the Bible Project. Just go and Google the Bible Project Image of God series. You will find hours and hours and hours and hours of podcasts on this kind of topic, really unpacking it throughout the early parts of the Bible. Really great resource. Uh, But we see that God came to be with us through Jesus. He didn't come to me and to you and to you and to you and to you and to you. No, no, he came to us. He interacts with us as a group, us as a people, the same way that he doesn't, he's not coming back one day for his brides. When I was young, this is a bit embarrassing, but when I was younger, I used to, part of my meditative process was imagining myself as bride of Christ. And I was just a really useful thing to kind of fall more in love with Jesus. And now I realise that even though that kind of meditative practice is great, I was a bit off there because Jesus isn't returning one day for his, all of his brides, all of his millions and billions of brides. He's returning for the bride. And we're actually just part of it. We're just a minuscule part of the bride of Christ because it's talking about all believers, past, present, future, still to come. It's the same with the idea of us all carrying the image of God. It says in Genesis that he made humankind in the image of God and he didn't make me to be the image of God and you to be the image of God and you're the image of God. No, 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 we're all the image of God, which means that I'm just part of the image of God. And I think in our society in particular in the West, we can put our individualistic interpretive lens on these concepts and metaphors and make them about us. And I think we have had too much of a focus on the individual relationship with God and not enough on unity. So in order to actually discuss unity and its importance and how we can actually pursue it, I wanted to unpack some of the teachings of Jesus and then some of the teachings of Paul. So we're going to launch into the word properly now. And on my first slide is one of the instructions given by Jesus to the disciples. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Unity is a powerful evangelical tool. I don't think we talk about that quite enough. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Unity is something that points to God. And God himself is a holy community. He's three in one. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so we are to model this unity by being united, by being one as well. Now, obviously, that's not the only part of our mandate and the call on our lives. And just in the next chapter, John 14, Jesus also taught his disciples, I tell you the truth, anyone who has Faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Jesus says this right after his disciples ask him, so when are you going to show us the Father? And he says, what? I, I've been showing you the Father the whole time. I'm in the Father. I'm, Father's in me. We're one. It's such a foreign concept to them. They, didn't, they couldn't quite see it. And he's, this is like such a beautiful promise here that I, particularly when I was a teenager and being like, kind of like growing up in the church, got really excited about the idea of doing even greater things. And I clung to that. And I think I clung to that at the cost of the other part of this, which is unity. And actually to do all of these greater things requires unity because that's, that's where it came from. God, Jesus was united completely with the Father and his will and he calls us to be the same. So there's two parts to unity here. There's the unity between us and God and the unity that we then have with each other. And they're both important, but I do think we haven't been maybe giving as much focus to the unity among believers as we do give to our unity with God. And we're going to see as we keep going why it's so important. We can't, I think the two are mutual and they're symbiotic. You can't separate them out. You can't really have one without the other. So Jesus also taught about this idea of bringing glory to the Father through works. He gave a few little caveats around that. And the first one that I could see really was in Matthew 7. When he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And so without unity, we can be operating out of the gifts of the Spirit and not actually be in relationship with God. So like this is one of the reasons why unity with God is so important. But then Jesus put some of this idea of unity into practice when in Luke 9, his disciple John came to him saying, Master, we saw a man trying to drive out, driving out demons, not trying to, driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. And Jesus says, this is probably for the last couple of weeks, this has challenged me no end. Jesus said to him, do not stop him for whoever is not against you is for you. And so even though sometime there will be people who Jesus goes, look, I didn't know you even if you were performing these things. It's not our place to pass that judgment out to people. It might be happening, but in the grand scheme of what we're doing here together as a church and as one body, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, don't stop him for whoever is not against you is for you. And I find this really challenging, but thankfully the Apostle Paul in his letters gives us a few more illustrations so we can glean a bit more, learn a bit more. And so Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, is responding to some reports of people preaching Christ for the wrong reasons. And this is what he says. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So not only is he saying it doesn't matter, he's actively rejoicing in 
these things, even though somehow it's known to him that the motives are not pure. He's actively rejoicing in it. Now, there's a few things I want to point out here. Firstly, is it's very hard for us to actually ever really fully know. In fact, I'm not even going to say hard. It's impossible for us to actually know or discern the motives of another person. Hard to know the motives of your own heart. That's, that's the domain of God. Secondly, we're repeatedly called throughout Scripture not to, not to judge or will be judged by that same measure. So it's quite an important thing here, but when put into the context of unity, what do we do when we come up against people who aren't just, I mean, I'm assuming in these situations someone's driving out demons, that's a good thing. Someone's preaching God, the, you know, the Christ gospel, that's a good thing. So we're not going to interfere because they're preaching what we would say anyway. What if they're preaching something different to what we would say? What do we do then? And there are some parts of Paul's teachings and other teachings uh, that deal with false teachers and false prophets, and that's a whole other series that I'm not going to touch. But in my study on unity, I came across some really helpful examples about how to be unified when there are differences in doctrinal beliefs and thoughts. And the first one that I came across was uh, in Romans. And it was actually part of my message last time, which is why it came to mind, I think, where Paul is addressing this uh, almost, it's a kind of a small division in the church where some of the Jewish Christians had had a revelation that all of the meat was now clean, even though the Torah had specified some meats as being unclean. But then other people in, the, in that fellowship had not yet had that revelation. And Paul said, look, you need to not cause your brother to stumble. In other words, he's saying prioritise unity over the freedom that that revelation brought to you as an individual, which is a really profound thing. And if we try to translate that into our own circumstances, there may be things you've experienced in the Holy Spirit or things that God has told you, revealed to you prophetically that we need to be laying down for for the call of unity. And it's not to say that those things are not important and it's not to say that those things won't be revealed in time and it's not to say that in every situation you need to just keep your lips shut. Like this is not a painting all the situations with the same brush as this story from Romans. I'm just saying we need to be pursuing unity even if it costs us something and it's very important to prioritise unity. And the second difference in doctrinal opinion that I came across was in addressed in 1 Corinthians, the very start of the letter, Paul is addressing a schism in the church of Corinth between the teachings of Paulus and the teachings of Paul. And some had gone, I'm a disciple of Apollos. And some had gone, I'm a disciple of Paul. And he's writing to them for like several chapters about this, saying, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I find it a lot easier to think about being united by our love for one another because love can cover over a multitude of things, which was, you know, part of the command Jesus gave. But to be united in mind and thought, that just seems impossible to me. I'll just point out at this stage that this is the goal and it's okay if we don't always get there. There are a lot of things about the Christian life that is about the thing we're pursuing and not the place we're actually at. Just say that. The biggest schism here 
that, well, at least what theologians think was the cause of this schism was that Apollos at the time that he was at Corinth had not yet been introduced to the Holy Spirit. So he was baptising people in the baptism of John the Baptist, just water and not the Holy Spirit. And then later on he became aware of the Holy Spirit. At least that's like plausibly part of what this division was. And I find that so interesting because in our church, modern church today, there are still such huge schisms, huge factions and divisions over the Holy Spirit. Less so about what meat you can and can't eat, but definitely about the Holy Spirit. It's a big, big topic still. And so it's to the point where Paul is accusing the Corinthians of being immature spiritually still just relying on milk and not being ready for meat. And uh, he points to their jealousy and their rivalry as the evidence for why they're not mature. And I actually have found this in a couple of areas where Paul has been writing about unity, that he brings up the topic of maturity. He says in several places that maturity is a sign of immaturity. And so I've really taken away from this, this idea that spiritually mature people are capable of living in unity with each other. It's a marker of someone who is spiritually mature, which as I confessed right at the start means that I'm really struggling. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not at this place. Well, maybe I'm a bit close to having wrestled with this for a couple of weeks, but it's a hard road. And if you want to grow in maturity, however, on the flip side, if, you really, if, you're, if you're wanting to actively pursue spiritual formation, be a discipleship of Jesus, following after his way, then one of the things you can do to to really speed you along that path is to chase after unity. Pursue unity with the people who you find most difficult. I think it's a key thing. And there's a reason why this is very important, which comes from Ephesians, where Paul's also talking about maturity. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It was he who gave some to be apostles. He here means the Holy Spirit to be some apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And here's that idea of being united in mind and thought again. But we see with this language that it's about reaching that, trying to aim for that. It's okay if we're not quite there yet. And built up in the knowledge built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We can't do maturity. We can't do this, run this race on our own. If you want to become mature, not only do you need to pursue unity, you need, like that's part of it, you need to be pursuing relationships. You need to be pursuing the corporate expression of God's body. And then we can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I really want to dwell on this point for a little bit because salvation is individual, but attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is corporate. It's something we can only do together. It's not going to be in your own private time, quiet time, isolated worship time or revelations of the word that you just get and keep to yourself. It's actually a corporate endeavor. And I think we do put a lot of emphasis on personal devotion times and the studying of the word is very important. Time alone with God is very important. I'm not undermining that. I'm just saying that if your goal 
is to do even greater things than these and to reach the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, it happens corporately. It doesn't happen in isolation from one another. And this is why we need to be pursuing unity, even if it's costing us something. The second thing Paul is always bringing up, so he's always talking about maturity whenever he seems to be talking about unity. And the second thing he always brings up is humility. And because of this, I think humility is the main pathway towards unity. Humility is also going to help us with the maturity thing. But I think humility really is like if there's one thing to go home and start seeking the Holy Spirit about how to put into practice, it's humility. As an individual, we can be practicing this and then coming together and and modelling it. And Paul says about unity in Philippians, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that right there is wildly countercultural for our day and age. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You could meditate on that one line for a whole year and get something new out of it every time. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. But he made himself nothing can also be translated as he emptied himself out. It's this Greek word, kenosis. He emptied himself out. And when you're empty, you're then available to be filled, filled with something beyond yourself. And so that is a beautiful picture for how to pursue humility. If Jesus himself, who was God in, found in flesh but still God, did not consider equality with God something to be, to be grasped, how much more should we not be thinking that it's something for us to strive towards? It's not. It's not how we get It's not how we get anywhere in life. What we get is by emptying ourselves out. And again, Paul gives us a very practical picture of this back in 1 Corinthians, back on the idea of this split between the teachings of the two. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants, we're only servants through whom you came to believe. And he goes on to detail how one planted the seed and the other one watered the seed. And he says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And I think if you're struggling with humility, as as I've been a lot this year, this is something to meditate on as well. We cannot do anything aside from God. He's the one who makes things grow. I just want to turn our attention now to the image of Jesus before we finish because I said at the start that I think we we do not focus enough on the unity between believers, the corporate unity that's required. But our unity and our connection with Jesus is, is really important in this because it's how we can then pursue unity with one another because we cannot do it without his help. And because it's Christmas and I figured I should because it's Advent and I haven't really talked about Jesus coming, we might take a moment just to meditate on that because this unity we can experience with Jesus is very unique to our time. It was not something that those living before Jesus' coming could experience. Moses could not come near the burning bush. There's like a limit. He couldn't touch it. Isaiah, the prophet, could see God's robe filling the temple, but he could not see his face. 
Israel couldn't come near the mountain, the mountain that God was dwelling on for a time. Several of them perished just by coming near. Zah simply placed his hand on the Ark of the Covenant and God's wrath came out in judgment, killing him instantly. The priests could only enter God's presence once a year and even then under constant threat of death. If they just got that ritual messed up in the slightest way and not be pure, it's enough, holy enough to be in the presence of the Holy of Holies. From Genesis to Malachi, all of the Old Testament, it's the story of people not being able to freely come near to God because of his holiness and our sin. But the glory of the incarnation is that God himself has come near to us. But he didn't come to each of us separately. He didn't come to me and you and you and you. He came to us. He came to his bride. He came to the body that we're all just a part of. And this unity is so important that when Jesus, right before Jesus was arrested, so right at the end of his active ministry, before the sacred ministry of the cross, his final prayer was for us. He said in the garden, his last prayer was, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning them, his disciples who were with him physically. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That means us, that all of them may be one, Father. This is his last prayer. It's for our unity. That's how important unity is. Just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me.